Thank you for listening to the Reclaim Church podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to your life. For more information on our church, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at ReclaimTX. Now please enjoy this message. The opening sermon for this series is the, t- is the table, and the idea is that everybody is welcome at the table with Jesus. And, and, and what I like about tables and what I like about dinner, I like those moments because there's a lot of special moments at a table, right? You have engagements, right? You know, I'm going to propose, and we're going to go to dinner. We're going to go on a date. I remember my first official date with my wife. We went to get sushi. I had never had sushi before, and I was the only guy that was like, can I get a fork, please? And um, it, was, it was bad, but it was a special moment. And so you got engagements. You've got, like, pregnancy announcements, right? Like, hey, can we all sit down? Let's talk about, you know, I got some news to share with you. There's, 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 there's big news that is shared at a table these the table is a place of communication or, or relational investment, right? I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to spend some time together. So what do you say? Let's go out to dinner. Let's spend some time together. Um, we, I love spending time with my wife. I love my kids, but I love spending time with just my wife. And so when we're able to go out, we usually go, and it's nice to sit at the table. And sometimes it's nice to just be quiet for a little bit, you know what I mean? Because we got three little ones, and so they're always loud, but we love them. But it's relational investment. It's... It's a place where you build something together. It's, it's, you know, you think of Thanksgiving, right? You got a big table with a lot of good food and, and, and good turkey and, and those moments with your family. And then you got Christmas, right? I don't, I don't know if Christmas is really known for dinner, but, but I love having like Christmas dinner, right? You get together with your family, you hang out, you spend time together. And, and there's these holidays, and, and that's kind of why I love this time of year is because it's really, it's almost like it's all about relationships, and, and I love that. And so there's also those, those moments, those special moments, bittersweet moments, like the farewell dinners, right? Or somebody wants to break up with you, right? Like, I don't get, like, how do you get through a whole dinner and then break up with somebody? I think that's pretty messed up. And how awkward would it be to break up with them before you get the food? Like, that's even worse. And so, but there's these difficult moments at a table too, right? You ever get the, we need to talk text message? Or, hey, we got to get together. We've got to talk. You're like, can you just tell me now on the phone? No, it's really important. And you just know that there's, there's a difficult moment coming up. There's, there's, so the table represents a conversation, a relational investment, and good times. But it also is a representation of some difficult conversations of a moment where it's like, hey, I've got something to share with you that I know it's, you're not going to like it. I know it's not going to make you happy, but, but this is an important thing. And, and i got to share whether it's a sickness or whether it's, it's something in the family that is happening that needs to be shared with the rest of the family or, or loved ones. These are, these are times of the table is a representation of the good and the bad of our life. But at the table, there's also conversation, somewhat intervention-like. Hey, we need to talk. There's some things in your life that you need to change. There's some things going on with you that, that I want to sit with you and I want to talk to you about because you need to change these things. They're not good. They're not good for you. I know you don't understand it all, but I see it from a different perspective, right? We have these conversations. And, and so I can imagine what it would be like at the table with Jesus where he would sit with you and, and have these conversations. And, and so we have, a, we have a good look into this in the, in the book of Luke chapter 22 where Jesus is sitting with his disciples and it says this. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they begin to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. So you see that Jesus is kind of setting them up, saying, hey, I've been wanting to meet with you like this. I've been wanting to spend some time with you because there's some things that I have to tell you. I'm not going to be with you very long. I'm leaving. I wanted to spend this time with you. Then he goes on, there's somebody here that's going to betray me. So Jesus is kind of doing this relational investment, but he's also giving them some bad news. And then he's also pointing out some other things with, among their group, saying this person is not a good person. They're betraying me, but that's all part of the plan, right? But there's also a moment of intervention. There's a moment where, where Jesus is, is kind of correcting Peter right before he goes, and we see this in just a couple of verses down. Verse 31 says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So here's Jesus spending this moment with him at the table. And I think a lot of us, although we are welcome to the table with Jesus, the, the, the church of Christ is not an exclusive group. It's not a place where it's like, hey, you come, but you've got to be like me in order to be a part of my church. That's not what we believe. That's not what we preach because the way that Jesus did it is he, uh, he opened the table up for anybody. Everybody was welcome at the table with Jesus, but this is the thing about being at the table with Jesus is when you get there, when you sit with him, there's most likely going to be a really hard conversation that he's going to have with you. He has it with all of us. These moments of realization where Jesus is now revealing to Peter like, hey, I know that you feel strong. I know that you think you're really strong. I know that you're going to, you, you feel like you're, you're good enough to overcome what's coming. But, but I got to tell you, Peter, that, that you're not as strong as you think you are. You're actually going to fall. But when you come back, I need you to help your brothers, right? So Jesus is kind of giving him this moment of truth. And the truth is this, is that every one of us has to come face to face with the truth. And this is the truth. Are you ready? I almost don't want to say it. And Robert, could you open this for me? I already spilled coffee on my shirt this morning, and I went and changed it. Um, yeah, my wife just realized that. <laughs> she said, oh, man. She wore yellow to match. I'm sorry, babe. But so I have bad luck right now. I'm not going to try to open it, and I'm not doing all that. I'm, I'm trying to make you laugh because the truth is about to come right now. This is the truth, is that we are sinners. That's the truth. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, duh, I've heard that before. I've been in church all my life. Like, I know. I know, yeah, of course I'm a sinner. But, but that is the truth that, that some of us hear, but we don't understand. It becomes like this message where it's like, 
oh, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. Can, but can you, can you give me a little bit of teaching on theology? Can, you give me, can we talk about the end times? Can we, talk about, can we talk about encouragement? Can you tell me how good I am and how much God wants me? And it's like, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. We will get there. But the truth is first, and the truth comes, to, it's hard to hear that we are sinners. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not like somebody is good, good, gooder, right, or better than somebody else. We are all, all below the standard of Christ. Every one of us. But this is the thing, is, it's not a popular message anymore. This is not a popular message. And so if you're here for your first time, this is who we are. <laughs> like, this is not a popular message. Because when some of them, now I'll be with you, I'm with you. I don't always want to hear about what I'm doing wrong. I don't want to hear that. I want to come to church and I want to hear a good message on like how good of a dad I am. That's what I want to hear. But the truth has to come because although the truth is unpopular, it's a sign of love. Because nobody wants to reveal the sickness. Nobody wants to be the one to say, hey, man, you've got a problem. You've got an issue. Nobody wants to be that person. But you know who does it is the one who loves. You know who will sit with an individual and say, hey, I love you, but there's something wrong with you and you need help. That is a sign of love. False love is to say, well, just live however you want to live. You're going to get to heaven anyway. It's okay. That's false love. And that's not the gospel. We preach the gospel. And the gospel says that we are sinners. And that we need a savior. So what is sin? How do you define sin? Because in this world today, and I hate, I, no, I don't want to say I hate. I strongly, strongly dislike the way that our world is heading where every truth is true. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, that's your truth. What does that even mean? How is it my, like, no, either it's true or it's not. Right? Either it's right or it's wrong. There is no, like, well, it might be right for you, but it's not right for me. It might be true for you, but it's not true for me. No, there has to be something. There has to be a standard. Now, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not a believer, like you still have to live your life with some kind of logic to say there has to be a standard to this life that I'm living. There has to be some kind of answer out there. It's not just do whatever you want and everybody's going to be okay. That's not what we teach. That's not what we, what we, what we believe. We believe that we are sinners and we have sin. But what is sin? It has to be clearly defined. So sin means this, simply put, to miss the mark. It's like, okay, well, what's the mark? Well, the mark, the mark that we miss is the standard that was set by God, or it is set by God, that was lived out by Jesus. That is the standard. Now, Jesus lived a perfect life. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, I am not perfect. Now, if you are, then I would encourage you to find a better church. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I, need, I know that I got sin in my life. I know there's issues with me that I need to fix, but sin is anything that is below the standard or contrary to the standard which God has set. And the truth is this, that all of us have sin. All of us have sin. You're like, man, this is a celebration. <laughs> yes. 
1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. James 4, 17. Now look, look, how, look how generalized this is and I love it. It says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Whoever knows what's right and doesn't do what's right, that is sin. This is the uncomfortable conversation at the table. This is this moment where, like, nobody's eating, right? Nobody, like, you take the awkward drinks because you don't know what else to do. This is the awkward moment of the conversation. Luckily, it's a big group, and so I can kind of look around, and I don't have to make the eye contact just yet because it is awkward. But then, but then what's the big deal with sin? Like, what, okay, I know what sin is. But if God was a loving God and, and he's all powerful and all loving, wouldn't he just let me into heaven? Wouldn't he just let me live the way that I want to live? But this is the problem with sin is that it separates you from the Father. It's not just that sin is bad. Like it's not just that it's a bad thing or an evil thing or, or you're going to hurt somebody. That's not, just, that's not the only problem with sin. The main problem with sin is that it separates you from God. It separates us from the Father. In Galatians 5, 16 through 24, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. It's our sin that separates us from God. That's what sin does. It's a scary, scary thing. And it's so, it sounds bad. Like, why, do you, why are we talking about this? Can we get to something a little bit better or more encouraging? But this is the truth. And what sin does, it doesn't only just separate us from God, but because it separates us from God, it breaks God's heart. It hurts him. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. The separation. The separation from God is what hurts him. Now, our, our, our thing at our church is love God, love people. And that's at a lot of churches, and I love that. I think that's amazing. Love God, love people. It's very simple. But the reason we preach, the reason we opened up this church, the reason we came to Texas, the reason we tell people about the Lord, the reason we do this is because we love God so much that we will do whatever it takes to please his heart. And you know what pleases his heart? It pleases the heart of God to be reunited with his creation. And it breaks his heart when there is separation. See, this is the negative news. This is our conversation that we don't want to have. We have an issue. Sin is an issue. Now, you can go to church, and you could, you could put on the, the nice clothes and, 
Just don't spill coffee on them. You got to go home. You can look good. You can look like you have it all together. But this is the thing with sin. Is sin rarely shows on the outside, but it's rotting on the inside. Here's the thing with sin is that sin could, could be in the heart of a pastor who's preaching every Sunday. Sin could be in the heart of a minister. Sin could be in the heart of the person who looks like they've got it all going on and it's all together. Sin can still be in there because sin hides at first. So you can say that you have it all together. You can say, no, this message is for the person next to me or the guy down the street. This message is not for me. But I want to challenge you to maybe look inside a little bit and say, is there something in me that needs to change? Is there something in me? Because although this is the negative part, and we, we realize that we have sin, there comes a moment where we have an opportunity to receive salvation. See, all this that happened, God had a plan. God had a plan. He knew that sin came in. He knew that there was separation. He knew that there was evil. He knew that all this was happening. So God had a plan. It was in his heart that he would not be separated from us. It was in his heart that you would know him. You are in God's heart. He wants to know you because he loves you. The Lord God Father, whatever you want to call him, the guy that created it all, Jesus, he loves you. He loves you. You're like, but you just said I'm a sinner. Like, why would he love a sinner like me? Because that's how good he is, is that he loves you. But this is the problem. The problem is that there had to be a price that would pay for the sin. It had to happen. Again, we say, well, couldn't God just, like, forgive everybody and never not send Jesus? Couldn't he just, like, like just clean it all up? No, he, he, I, maybe he could. I don't want to get into that discussion. But, but he's not going to because God is just. And because God is just, there has to be a price paid for sin. Because God, if God was like, oh, you can do whatever you want, and because I love you, I'm just going to let you in, then there would be no payment. That wouldn't be justice. Justice has to be served because God is just. So there's, that's an issue, right? That's a problem. Like, wait, I'm, I'm a sinner. I can't pay the price of my sin, and my sin separates me from God. So what does God do? He sent Jesus to take our punishment. I understand that this is an elementary message. Like, I get that. I get that it's like, I've heard this before. Like, can you talk, like, can you talk about something deeper? I get that. But sometimes I fear as a church that we, how do I say this, that we minimize what God did for us. That it becomes so common. Oh, yeah, I'm forgiven. Oh, yeah, he paid the price. That it comes, becomes so common that we don't want to hear about it anymore. It becomes like this, yeah, I know that. Okay, move on. But I pray that we would be a church that embraces what it is that he did. Jesus sent, or God sent Jesus to take our punishment. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to picture this with me. If we can picture eternity, now again, we really can't, but try. 
if we can picture eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You see in the book of Genesis that the Trinity was already there. And if you want to discuss that after church, we can discuss that after church. But you see in Genesis that the Spirit was above the water. You see that God looks at somebody and says, we're going to make him in our image. We see that in the book of, I believe it's 1 John or John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So picture eternity with me for a minute. Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, divine unity for eternity. There's an issue. There's sin. And now this union has to be separated. Because God is like, I love them so much. I know that they're sinning. I know that they're lost. I know that they're broken. I know that they hate each other. I know that they're prejudiced. I know that they got issues with their neighbors. I know that they're jealous. I know that they're, they're bitter. I know that they're holding grudges. I know that they're lost in perversion. I know all these things about them, but I love them, and I want them with me. So they come up with this plan, and Jesus comes as a baby a baby, like talk about vulnerability, talk about humility, comes as a baby, lives a life, a sinless life, never sinned, never lied, never cheated, never deceived, never hated, never sinned. His whole life, 30 years, he gets into ministry. Now Jesus is still connected with the Father, he's still praying. He's still walking with him. He's still accomplishing the will of the Father. He says, he's like, I'm not going to do anything apart from the Father's will. Now Jesus is living out his, his three years of ministry. And what happens? He knows the end. And so now he's sitting at the table with his disciples. And he's saying, listen, guys, I have to go. But see, Jesus wasn't just saying farewell to the disciples. Because when he gets on the cross, what happens is every sin, past, present, future of all humanity is now resting on the shoulders of our Savior. And here's the thing about sin is it separates. The one of the reasons Jesus had such a close unity to the Father is because he never sinned. And so now he's on the cross. And it wasn't just that he was whipped. It wasn't just that he was tormented. It wasn't just that he was humiliated and broken and bruised and all these different things that you go watch the Passion of the Christ, right? That'll give you somewhat of what it looks like. It was intense, insane, just crazy. Like, I would never do that. And he didn't deserve it. But it wasn't just that. It was that sin was now on his shoulders. And him who knew no sin became sin so that you and I can be righteous in the eyes of God. An eternal connection severed because of our sin. He died on the cross. And then it says he rose again from the dead. This is crazy, but it's true. There's 500 at least witness accounts of him. You see secular writers in, in history writing about seeing Jesus after, the, after the, the, the crucifixion. And it says that they see him doing miracles and performing miracles for people. It's documented in history. 
that he rose from the dead. He conquered death. The very thing that we're afraid of, right? I don't want to die. I'll do anything to not die. Like, that's a scary thing. God took the one thing that had power over us and completely destroyed it. But ultimately, and this is the good news, ultimately what Jesus did is he made a way for you to know God. Listen, and you might be like, yeah, yeah, I'm saved. I know that. But, but can we just think about that for a minute? You, 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 yeah, you, you. I'm just pointing generally. So nobody's like, don't, I'm not going back. He pointed at me during service. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you can know God. Not religion. Not church. God help us if our relationship with the Lord is only on Sundays. I can see why everybody's leaving the church because that's not fulfilling. That's not fulfilling. You can know God. Jesus paid the price for your sins, not just so that you can be forgiven, but he wants you to be forgiven so that you can know him. I think that is the most amazing news. Like, again, it's so cliche, and I hate that it's just like, but this salvation is a free gift. He's like, hey, I paid the price for you. I took care of it. I got you. Don't worry about it. The thing, the mistakes that you made in the past, what people label you and call you because of what you said or what you've done, the things that you're humiliated about or shameful of and you never want to talk about because nobody would understand what you went through, that very thing that you did, I forgave you of that. And now you can know me. Now you can know God, but you have to receive it. And you got to repent. Again, like a curse word today. Repent. What is repentance? Repentance is a radical turn from our old life of sin to now living for the Lord. To say everything that separated me from you, God, I'm going I'm to leave that behind and I'm going to pursue you. I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to be labeled. I'm not going to let my past control me, but I'm going to pursue God. So we receive this salvation through faith and through repentance and believing in Jesus from the inside out. You don't got to be perfect. You don't have, it all, you have to have it all together. You don't have to go and say, well, when I get things right, then I'll come to the Lord. No, you come to the Lord as you are. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. But that confession and that belief is all based and it comes from a life of repentance. I turn from my old life and walk in the new life. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. At the table we hear the, good, we hear the bad news. I'm a sinner. I need help. But then we hear the good news. He paid the price for my sin, and I could be saved and know him. So at the table, we realize, we receive, and lastly, we rejoice. And I got this last point. And again, I know this was like a pretty basic message, and I know it was pretty simple. But I think it's important that we all understand, even believers that we've been believing for, all, for years and years and years, maybe even a church for a long time, I think sometimes we just got to get back to the basic and say, man, you know what? 
I'm thankful for my salvation. I'm thankful that he saved me. I was, I was, I had a conversation with my, one of my friends yesterday. And I was, we were just talking about what the Lord is doing and, and get, get you some friends that you could, you could just talk about God. I'm telling you right now. We're just sitting there talking about the Lord and, and I was just so, just like, amazed at how good God is. Because there was things in my life that I was bound to, bound by, not just sin, but thought processes and mentalities about myself, insecurities and, and things, grudges, bitterness on the inside that I didn't know that I had until the Lord revealed it to me. And in a moment, he broke it all. And I was just, I was celebrating with my friend, like, man, I never thought that this would happen. Like, I never thought that I could genuinely love people. I never thought that. Like, I thought I was going to have to fake it till I make it, till like I got to heaven. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the Lord, he changed me. He changed me. And at the table with the Lord, with, when you're sitting with God, you can rejoice because he's forgiven you. You can rejoice because your sins are washed away. You can rejoice because all the pain and the guilt and the hurt can be healed and you can be, you can be whole. You can rejoice because the physical sicknesses in your body can be healed. You can rejoice because even though you don't have maybe all the finances you want to have, you still have Jesus, and that's good enough. You can rejoice because may, things may not look good. Your marriage might, may not be what you want it to be. Your kids may not be what they want them to be, but you can still rejoice because you have Jesus. Because I have him. I can rejoice at the table. Good, bad times, confusing times, chaotic times, frustrating times. I can rejoice because I have him. I rejoice because my past no longer controls me. I'm a new individual. You're a new person. There, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. But look at you rejoice at the table. But can I say this? At the end of the conversation with the Lord, yeah, you rejoice, but you go public. You ever have those moments where you're like, somebody's like, hey, listen, I need to tell you, I'm pregnant. Like, you celebrate, but don't tell anybody till I post it, right? <laughs> like, and, like, you'll be dead to the family if you post it first, right? Oh, oh man, that was awkward. But, um, <laughs> go public, right? Or, like, hey, they got engaged together. They were on a date. They went to dinner. They got engaged. But right after they got engaged, what do they do? They go on Facebook and make it public, Right? When good things happen to you, it happens in intimacy. It happens in conversation and relational investment. But after it's done, you go public. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You can make a difference. You can be the light wherever you go. You can do it. Go public with what God's doing. Celebrate. Share what God's doing. Help others experience God the same way that you have. 
But this all takes place at the table. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For more information on our church, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at ReclaimTX or check us out on our website, ReclaimChurchTX.com. Thank you for listening.